Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. God is working with us. Are you enjoying it? Good. Are you finding the food of the gospel and finding life in Jesus and the goodness of a story? I, I trust you are. Even I know life groups have done incredible, incredible work. And what is happening if you've pitched up this Sunday and, and you're in the middle of a series, it's like jumping in the middle of a series. What's it? Session number eight, series version. What do you call it when you're watching a series? What do you call that thing? Episode. Thank you, Quinton. You're really on form this morning, eh? Wow. And, um, but like coming in like episode seven and you've missed six. No, it's not that. You can jump in. This is the story of a passionate father, a spiritual father who's preached the gospel in the area. He's come back 14 years later. He's pulled into this area and found that there are some false teachers pulling these spiritual children of us into bondage, into slavery again. And they are listening and their ears are pricking up and they're finding some life in that story. And he's fighting for their freedom. He's getting stuck in, and this is the picture we used, and if I can maybe have the picture up, it's this guy. It's a picture of a father fighting for the freedom of his children. Please tell me you've watched this movie. If you don't like violence, don't watch this movie. He single-handedly mutilates like a nation himself with no guns. It's incredible. But it's that moment he says, I have a very specific set of skills. I will look for you. I will find you. I will kill you. It's like a little bit like Liam Neeson in that. If you're struggling with what's going on in Galatians, it is a passionate father fighting for his kids, not from someone who's just calling them off, someone who wants to pull his spiritual children into slavery. So he's strong. He's not holding back. He's not holding any punches. There's no time for that. Paul wasn't known for coming in democratically. He wasn't known for coming in softly. He was known actually where he went through a riots or a revival. That's the options we got you. Which one are you going to choose? So we jump into this book that really is about freedom. And today we're going a little bit gangster for our title. Is that all right? So get your gangster on. And today's preach is called My Brother from Another Mother. It's important that you get the title because there's truth there. Can you say that, my brother? You, no, you've got to put a little attitude. I know we table view and we want, my brother. We know we, my, my brother. Yeah, now I've even said that. Now we've gone to the flats. <laughs> Wait, no, come tell us how you would say it. Yes, yeah, come, come, come. Because actually when I say this, this, some people say we could be brothers. My brother from another mother. There we go. There we go. A title is very important. So today we're going to talk about two mothers, two brothers, two different futures, and one big truth. Simple. And we are reading from Galatians 4 as we are working our way through this incredible book. And we're going to read a section of scripture today that is Paul's final argument before he gets to the big climax of freedom in chapter 5. It's going to be awesome. We are the bullet in the barrel of the gun. We are there. We are on the cusp of jumping into everything that God has for us and freedom, being shot into that freedom. And it is his final argument that he's putting before them. And he says this, that actually, I want to give you this picture, and I want this picture to come, and I want you to get the truth in the picture. And it's two mothers, two sons, and two different futures, but one great truth. Can we read from Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, please? 
Hagar and Sarah. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. So he's explaining why he's referring to them. He says the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that, ab that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of, the, of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, Like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is our text. This sets us up. About to jump into this amazing, amazing text in Galatians 5. And I'm going to read verse 1 because it's spectacular. And I honestly believe Paul was Scottish. Some of you know that. It's a deep theological conviction. So I'm going to read it how Paul would read it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's got to be Scottish. What do you think, Mark? Stand up theologically. Probably not, eh? But it's fine. I think he's Scottish. And in my head, he is William Wallace. He is fighting for freedom, and he's fighting for this thing. Not holding back. So the challenge is if we take these scriptures lightly, we will miss the truth that he is fighting for. Remember, this word is to the church. It's in those who are in the church. And he's saying, guys, you are at risk of losing your freedom. Don't assume because you walk in the four walls of the church. Don't assume because you've got some badge on your heart or in a story or you go to a life group that there is freedom abounding. He's saying, I'm fighting because there are people fighting for you to go back into slavery. And the challenge when we don't look back in history is mankind has a default setting and that default setting isn't towards more freedom. It's towards slavery. It's towards smallness. It's towards chains. From Adam in the garden to the Egyptians and to, to the Israelites wanting to go back into slavery in Egypt, we have an unfortunate default setting that God is wanting to re-engage in our hearts. And it takes time. Paul's saying, I'm fighting for this now. I might only have this moment. I might only have this time. But I want to fight for this thing. Because he's fighting for full freedom. And I believe, as John Piper wrote, he said, full freedom is freedom of opportunity to do what we can. You know, sometimes uh, I have heard an amazing statement from a guy named Bryn Bark. He said, I thought I had things under control until I realized I hadn't done some sins because I just hadn't had the opportunity. You know that? It's a radical statement. We think we're all, all good. I'm all good. But what about the opportunity, the freedom of opportunity to desire Jesus? So actually none of that becomes attractive. 
What about the freedom of ability to do what we desire or the freedom of desire to do what brings us unending joy? I want the full package of freedom because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's a big issue. See, people think freedom looks like 230 k's an hour on a motorbike shooting the breeze. That, that looks like freedom. For some, freedom is skydiving. For some, it's just spending money on days. For some, it's having sex with any person I can find in the world. For parents, it looks a little bit like 24 hours of quiet and no one asking to use the iPad. It's all relative where you are in life. It's all relative. Sounds good to many. But I believe true Christians should be the freest people in the world. And Paul is fighting for that. And he's saying, actually, freedom is not just the icing on the top of the cake of Christianity. It's like if you build a really good cake, you will have freedom eventually when you ice it at the end. No, that's not it. Christianity and walking with Jesus is freedom because it's Jesus. He says when we lose that thing and we allow someone to take us on another journey, we're in trouble. Hence Liam Neeson. And so we're going to be speaking much about freedom, but he says, he, he paints this picture of Hagar and Sarah. He says, and, and another version in the ESV used this statement, says, these things are being taken figuratively. That's what it says in the NIV. In the ESV, it says, now, we, this, we, now this may we interpret allegorically. Meaning we've got to take this picture and we've got to find and mine the deeper meanings in the text. If we just read it about a story about Hagar, we're missing it. But we read it as a story about Hagar and Sarah in the context of Galatians fighting for freedom. He says, do that. Sometimes we try to do that with every bit of scripture so we can find the hidden meaning that's probably not there. It's not often Paul says, do it this time. He says, in this time, find the meaning. Mine it. And so he continues, says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? People are, and I think it's a symptom of our world even today, people are far more aware of what they're against, normally, than they are of what they're for. He says, do you know what you're actually signing up for by being against Jesus as your full freedom, by being against that and signing up for a system that says apply all the laws, every single one of them, and when you tick every single box and you get to the end, there'll still not be life. Do you know that that's what the law promises? And he's fighting for freedom. And he says the law is from Genesis to Deuteronomy. There's five books, 613 laws. He says the nature of being under the law is that you have to follow every single one, jump through every single hurdle, and the minute you fall, it's got you. So he says, do you know that's what you're signing up for? It's a big statement. And the movies use allegory to get messages across. And uh, I was trying to think, I've watched many a children's movie in recent years. Not much more than Up. Have you watched the movie Up? The old guy looks like Terry Virgo and the little kid. They, 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 they come together in this most amazing scene. As his wife passes away, and he's sad, and he's struggling to find the land that they're going to. But if you watch the movie, you realize there's a whole bunch of themes that run. Like actually broken people can find each other with the truth of adoption. He kind of adopts this little guy, and they go on a journey together. And his pains of years and years and years before that he settled on in years can be healed in time when we go on adventures. There are all these deeper stories. If you watch Cars, watch Cars. One, it's deep. You'll weep when you get it. Might take you 37 times, but it's deep. But um, Paul knows as a wise teacher that to get a message across, you've got to put an image in front of people. And he uses Hagar, Sarah, and Abraham. Who's Abraham? He's the poster boy of Israel. That's who he is. 
He's their father in the faith, and he's the guy they know about. They know his story. They know Hagar and Sarah. They just have taken a couple of the facts and has made some assumptions that led them down some dangerous roles. And he says, actually, I want to bring truth, and I want to bring light into this thing so that actually the gospel gets the glory. So he continues, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Quite a thing. Paul says he could have drawn many distinctions between these ladies. Could have spoken about their hair color. Could have spoken about one plays badminton, other plays bowls. He could have said you many things about Hagar and Sarah. He just says this, Hagar, slave, Sarah, free woman. He goes straight for the jugular. Why? Because there's a backstory that we see in Genesis 15 where God makes a promise to a guy named Abraham because God is good. And God speaks to a couple named Abraham and Sarah who are barren. And God gives them a promise, says, the two of you, I will give natural children late on in years when it seems impossible in the natural. And they go, awesome. But what happens is 10 years later, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of frailty, in a moment of lacking faith, Sarah in probably a very insecure state, says, actually, I'm, I want you to take my maidservant, Hagar. And I want you to sleep with her. I want you to have a child. So after 10 years, they have a child. Hagar, the son of a slave woman, who was always a slave woman. And 29 years later, Abraham has a son with Sarah. Isaac, the promised one. The one that couldn't come by any man's efforts. You see, this son came by human hands, human efforts, not trusting God. This son came by waiting on the promise, holding on for the king to move, to move his hand. And there's the, some of the characters in the scene we've spoken about. Amazing, amazing. But Ishmael and Isaac, I want to speak about these two sons. Isaac, the son of the promise, waited for many, many years for. It's a promise. What have we spoken about gospel and salvation by faith alone? It's the answer to a promise. But we live in an age of broken promises, so we struggle to believe in promises. We want to put insurances and T's and C's to every promise. And God says the only insurance and the only T and C you need is the blood of Jesus. That's it. Then there's another son. You see this guy, Isaac, he said he was son of Sarah, a loved woman who bore a child late in life. And he received a massive inheritance, this son. And we, we know his name. If I say Isaac to you, most of you read Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wherever you read in the Bible, there, there is a name that is celebrated. It's a name that has revered. It's a name that's recognized as a leader. Not many people know of the name Ishmael through this story. As Ishmael was the son of a slave girl who slept with Abraham. She was a gift of a wife who was lacking faith at the time. So there are these two women, and, and Paul is saying, use this story, see into this story. And I want to speak a little bit, because the first thing is there are these two women. And it represents, as it tells us, two covenants. The covenants of works, the covenants of grace. See what, why the covenant of works? Well, faith wasn't placed in God. Faith was placed in man's ability to do it. So man made a plan out of their insecurity and lack of faith, and a baby was born. They worked hard to make it happen. It's a covenant of works rather than trusting the goodness of God. But I want to tell you, it looks a little bit like this in our lives. Because Paul's saying it's relevant to them, Hagar and Sarah. It's relevant to us 2,000 years ago. And it's relevant to the church today. Because it looks a little bit like this. 
It's a covenant that looks like this. Well, here's my law. Yes, Lord. So if you, if you keep my law, and if you keep your end of the bargain, then I, God, I will allow you to live. And on top of that, if you promise to obey my commands and, and do them perfectly, wholly, fully, without a single blemish, I'll allow you into heaven. But if you slip up on any single one of them and rebel in any single ordinance, I will destroy you forever. And if you buy into this system, you buy into this story, you live in a fearful thing where God is this God waiting to hand, and you live a white-knuckled Christianity holding on to some kind of precipice that you think can sustain you, and it can't. Someone joked with me on the way into church this morning and said, today's the day you either really love Jesus or you're a real good Pharisee. Because <laughs> it's cold and it's hard to get to church. The challenges in my heart Both of those exist. I'm not shouting at you. I'm preaching to myself. In this heart of mine, I've told you before, I wake up on a Sunday morning sometimes and go, Lord, you know that I've really struggled to have a quiet time this week. You know that I've shouted at my kids when I should have. You know that I've been ungracious, and yet you want me to preach the gospel. And if I live in this space, I'm holding on white knuckle, and I'm just going to make it through if I kick back into, but God has promised and he has called, and he has anointed, and he has done this thing, and he knew that I wasn't perfect from the start. Can I live in the freedom of that incredible, incredible truth? And so the covenant of grace, that is the covenant of Sarah, is this covenant that wasn't made man with man or God with man. It's a covenant that's made God with God, the Father with the Son, Jesus. It doesn't rest on me. It rests on him. It doesn't rest on my efforts or earnings. It rests perfectly on his perfect effort on the cross, his submission on the cross, dying for us. So at the essence, when you look at the covenant of law, it says this, man, you can do this and live. It's a lie, but it's a promise made. On the other side, in the covenant of grace, it's the promise this, Jesus, you've done this so they can live. Don't know about you, I went to Sunday school, full gospel tabernacle. Got a five-year certificate from them. Very proud of that. We used to sing this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I believe it. Then I forget that actually I'm weak and he is strong. I slip into this very quickly. Where my works somehow have power. But when I remember that Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Not because I feel it when I wake up in the morning, not because someone else told me, but because the word of God spoke into my heart and it brings freedom and life. And like a little child, actually I'm just weak. Because sometimes the, the, the seduction of even a microphone and a pulpit is you preach the word of God and people get saved and you start thinking, wow, that was good. Awesome. But then you walk into a room of a man who's been given a few months, you don't feel so powerful anymore. And unless you understand that I am weak and he is strong, 
and I'm rising in strength and I'm rising in power. But every morning I rise because of who he is, not because of I am who I am. And there are these two sons. And uh, I want to jump ahead a little bit. There's this incredible covenant of grace that was made. And you know what? We look at these mothers. There's a couple of things we've got to take out of it. And I really am falling behind. Covenant of grace. Number one, Sarah was a wife long before Hagar bore a child. I want to tell you that long before law ever entered into the story, there was grace. Long, long before. You know how I know? Because 1 Peter 1 says this. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Who? Jesus, the essence of grace. The story was in play long before. And God said, I've got to show them. I need a guardian, which it speaks about in earlier in chapter 3. I need a guardian to walk them, to get them to the place where their Savior can break in. I'm going to bring a guardian into the story, the law, to shine some light in the darkness because they don't know where they're going because I love them. But ultimately, that guardian will never get them to the place I need them to get. They need Jesus. Long before Adam stood in the garden, God had ordained his people for eternal life to be saved through Jesus Christ. We have to believe that. It's got to settle many things in us. And the law was never intended to save men. It was only designed to be a handmaid like Hagar was to grace. Nothing more. You know what the amazing thing as well? Hagar even though she bore the child of Abraham, was never a free woman. She was always a slave. And the minute that that child came, they were ushered out. And they said, actually, you take your child and you go the minute that Isaac arrived. Spurgeon says this, the poor sinner trying to be saved by law is like a blind horse going round and round a mill and never getting a step further, but only being continually whipped. The faster he goes, the more he does, and the more he is tired. So much the worse for him. The better legalist is a man, the more sure he is of being damned. The more holy a man is, if he trusts to his works, the more he may rest assured of his own final rejection and eternally portion, an eternal portion with the Pharisees. He's fighting out saying, actually, actually, you can't trust in the law. Because it will never walk in intimacy and never walk in the fullness as Hagar was cast out. I want to tell you about the two sons and make a few statements there. See, Isaac was a type of man who walked by faith and trusted God. And Hagar and, and this guy, Ishmael, is presented as a type of man who lives by work and hopes to be saved by his own good works. I want to make a few statements about these two. I'm not used to this guy. I'm getting used to like that guy. Ishmael was born first and was the elder. So that's the undeniable fact. He says, take the story and see the meanings. Ishmael, son of the law, was born first. Isaac came later. You know what happens? I think we get saved and ultimately we are born again as legalists. We don't have a default to freedom. So when we are born, we are born as legalists. And God says, I want you to go on a journey to freedom. Even though freedom has broken you, freedom has transformed you, and the old man is dead, there has to be a change of thinking. And you have to believe the gospel every day. People make statements like, I needed the gospel then. No, I need the gospel every day. Every day. To keep me on my knees and keep coming. Thank you, Jesus. Every day. Secondly, we see differences when Abraham died. And I want to read from Genesis 5. It says this, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. Just stop there. It's a radical thing. This is the second son in an age where the first son used to get everything. 
what we earn and what we deliver through our works and our law will always be secondary to that which we are given through Jesus. Always. And he continues. He says, but while he was living, still living, he gave gifts to his sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of whatever that name is. A couple of statements. First, the younger son got the inheritance. And we don't get inheritance, guys. We just don't understand it. In this day and age, inheritance were everything. Brothers would kill brothers to get to the inheritance. That's how big it was. And we are so used to working for, from little age, parents saying, if you do this, then you'll get this. We're so used to and conditioned to working for that the idea that someone would just give us something because of who we are is foreign to us. We have to understand that inheritance is a big thing. The second thing is Ishmael was sent away. He says he gave gifts to his sons and his concubines. Understand this. That unless we fully throw ourselves in the perfection of Jesus, that he loves us, and the Bible tells me so. Unless I jump into this place completely, there will always be a distance. You see, Ishmael with his mother Hagar got sent away from his father, Abraham. There will always feel a distance between us and the father if we think the way to the father is works. It will always feel like a long way away. And the reality is, it always will be. Paul says, look at this story. Our works to please or satisfy God will only end up putting more distance between us and the Father. What is the Father's desire? He says, I send Jesus so I can be in relationship with you. It's radical, eh? And then Ishmael, he didn't just have a distance with Father. He didn't get partake in his Father's life. See that? He gets sent away. Isaac gets close. Isaac gets mentored. Isaac gets loved. Isaac gets everything. And Paul's saying, see that picture? I want you close to the Father. I don't want you sent away like Ishmael was sent away. I want you close. Simple truths from a simple picture that he puts before us. Why is this important? picture important? What does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid. Strong language, eh? Not... Play with it. Work it out for yourself. Think about it, you analytical types. Now get rid of the slave woman who's inside of each of us. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. See, Paul doesn't mince his words again. He says these religious, legalistic following of laws can look the same as salvation by grace, but it's not. This was the distinction. Paul has told us that the first was born out of the flesh, Hagar and Ishmael. He says this one was born out of the spirit, a spiritual son. What does it mean? It means the difference is not actually in the works. It's not actually about stop working now. No, actually, I'm a believer because I love Jesus and I'm in relationship and I have a desire and freedom gives me a desire to desire him. And I get to desire my father because I desire my father. I want to serve him. I want to give my gifts that he gave me. I want to give them away because he'll give me more. But it's out of desire and it's out of freedom. It's different. 
And he says this, the difference is not in works, however, but in motives. Not in the life, but in the means to sustaining that life. I worked, I worked really hard last week. I, I, I read an hour every day of the Bible. That's really good. But if your joy comes from the fact that you read an hour every day from the Bible, we are missing the joy and delight we can have in the Father. And on this side, it looks the same. I read every day in the hour. You know what? The Spirit of God empowered me to do that. It wasn't by my efforts. And I got closer to God, and I saw Jesus. And He is spectacular. Not in the life, but in the way and means of sustaining life. And not in what they do, so much as in how we do it. See, we're doing a series called Jesus Plus Nothing. Nothing. Not a little bit. Not naught point naught 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 three seconds. Like the guy who won the Tour de France stage the other day. Absolutely not important. He says, like fire and water don't mix. This law and grace stuff you can't mix. Like, like putting a lion and a lamb in the same room. You cannot now try and mix this. I'm going to be a little bit Ishmael. I'm going to be a little bit Isaac. You, you just can't do that. The only way is to throw any motive, belief, or understanding that anything, anything, anything we do could impact our salvation and our ability to walk it, and the ability to go on a journey called sanctification that we become more and more like Jesus, the power for that is given by the Spirit of God inside of me. Yes, I have to put effort in. And as Dallas Willard told us so many times, God is not opposed to my effort. He is opposed to my earning. My kids have to know they do stuff around the house not to get me to love them. They do stuff around the house because they are kids of that house. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You know the challenge with this word, and I'm going to land with this, is the most religious people can be the most furthest from freedom. I'm not angry with anyone. I'm angry with a lying enemy who tells people that they can work their way into the love of God. Maybe a little bit like Paul, our Liam Neeson, fighting for free people out of slavery. See, even in this room, I know because I've sat with some, some of you think, I have more access to God than you do. Let's be real. Why? Because you grew up in a church system that told you that for the first 40 years of your life. I cannot allow you to stay there. Because it won't lead to freedom. And you, you want to put the pastor on a pestle. You want to put someone else because then it becomes somewhat aspirational. No, at the cross, every one of us are holding on to Jesus. Every single one of us. And no legalistic system will ever lead to the freedom that I want to live in, that I want my kids to live in, that I want you to live in and to thrive in. Because it's the freedom. I'm able to do this, but I want to do this. I'm able to do this, but I want to do this. I have desires to do this, but actually I have a far better desire to worship Jesus, be captivated by Jesus. That is the greatest freedom we can have, is to desire relationship with God. At the essence of it all, 
the difference between Ishmael types and Isaac types is a supernatural work of God. And when we stop believing that and stop taking a little bit too much credit for our part in the story, we're in trouble. And we're slipping into slavery, guys. I know because my heart has a default setting to it. My heart. Most of my life in church, most of my life sat under incredibly amazing, liberating teaching. My heart has a default to smallness, to taking too much glory sometimes. And God says, actually, no, I'm going to put a book in the Bible called Galatians, where actually it's going to cause you, in the midst of thriving churches, it's going to cause thriving churches to get back on their knees and repent of self-effort, because I want their hearts, because of what I have done and nothing they have done. That is the book of Galatians. God is continuing to challenge me. Sometimes the promise takes 39 years. Said to the man recently, I said, I just want to hear God's voice. I said, please keep asking him. Please keep pursuing because I believe it's a promise to you. God speaks. Don't stop. Don't look for some illegitimate story like an Ishmael to break into the story. Sometimes self-effort can look as innocent as a newborn baby, Ishmael. And you know what? People even comment. They will celebrate it. In the church, it happens. We've got to get back to the simple premise of the gospel. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so.